And I tell the receptionist, he has been screaming since four o'clock in the morning. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. I need to see somebody. Yeah. That's okay. Then take him to the emergency room. Within three years of release, two out of three ex-offenders are rearrested. Clearly, something is broken. It's time we strategize ways to prevent repeat offenses. Our brainstorming session starts now. Welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon. Hello and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon Podcast. I'm your host, Michi J. We've talked mostly on this podcast about the criminal justice system because it is the main highway to prison. But today I want to talk about the other system that can cause one to be in prison. And that is CPS, better known as Child Protective Services. This system, in my humble opinion, is much more dangerous than the criminal justice system because of a few things. It's not very visible. We often overlook it. You can get in this system only just because of a phone call, someone just calling you in just because they're mad at you. You can get in the system because of your kids, them just falling and getting hurt, you know, kids being kids, or you disciplining your kids justly and properly here. I'm not trying to say anything about child abuse, like you really abusing your rights as a parent to discipline your child, but you should be disciplining them. Then also this system is much more dangerous to me because of you don't really know all your rights as a as a parent. You can lose them. And it's just very hard to just navigate through this system. Even with a good lawyer that you retain yourself, it's really hard to get out of the system. That's why, in my opinion, the child welfare system, CPS, is a much more dangerous. I like how the journalist and author Victoria Law put it, and she said it in her speech called Policing Motherhood when she was at this convention called Invisible No More. That was in November of 2017. She talked about stories about women who got caught up in the system, and it was mainly women out of the Black community. This system is really, really hard on the black community, just like the criminal justice system, if not more. Perhaps you've seen it at work. I know I've, I have in my own family and trust me, some, I've seen it at work within my own family and it is not easy to get out of. It's really prevalent in the black community, but it can show up in other communities as well, which brings me to my special guest today. Her name is Rachel Bruno, and she went through a case with CPS where they took her child. It was such a terrible and eye-opening experience for her that it led her to become an author and a spokeswoman for issues on parental rights and child advocacy. Like I said, getting entangled with the system is easy to get into and very difficult to get out of, but thank God it's not impossible. Now let's listen to my chat with Rachel and how she got involved with the system and how she was able to navigate through it. Today, we're going to switch up a little bit and we're going to talk about the family court system. And I don't know about you. Everything that I've been hearing is not 
really good. But we're going to hear it firsthand from our special guest, which is Rachel Bruno. Now, Rachel is a Nashville-based author and an advocate for parents that have been falsely accused in the child welfare system. Her book, Fractured Hope, A Mother's Fight for Justice, has been featured in top podcasts such as Jesse uh, Kelly Show, The High Wire with uh, Dale Bigtree, and The Freedom Network. Rachel's personal experience of having her children illegally removed makes her the perfect spokeswoman for issues on parent rights and child advocacy. After uh, being awarded, okay, listen to this, seven figures in a civil suit, she knows the ins and outs of the court system and is ready to help families with her knowledge. Her mission is to expose, educate, and encourage. Um, Welcome, Rachel, to the show. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad to have you because, you know, I've had a niece that's been involved in the family court system. And I remember um, how much of a nightmare that was. And I know a lot of um, prisoners that uh, have wives and children that's outside that may be involved in the system. And I I really want to get them educated through having you on the show and telling them how and what what to look for and what, what happened. Why don't we start with your story? Absolutely. So this all happened to me back in 2015. When my seven week old son Mm -hmm. was critically injured in the care of his nanny. So a little background about myself, you know, I have seizures, I have epilepsy, and one of the main triggers to my episodes are sleep deprivation or interrupted sleep. So all you new moms out there, you know, you ain't sleeping. (laughs) Well, that's a big trigger. (laughs) Yep. So my doctors recommended that I get at least a nighttime nanny to wash the baby during the nighttime shift so that I could sleep. Okay. So I interviewed this person, you know, criminal background check. She had children herself. Her husband was a Marine, no red flags. She was a Marine biologist and was shifting gears into this sort of work. Mm -hmm. So she started watching my son when he was seven days old. And at seven weeks old, I woke up to him screaming at about four o'clock in the morning. And I figured, okay, you know, diaper change or feeding something to that extent. And he cried and then he stopped and then about 10 minutes would go by. Then he'd start screaming again. Then he'd stop. You know, this went on for about 30 minutes until I finally got up. I went into his room and she had him inside the crib, swaddled inside the crib and was kind of rocking him back and forth, you know, trying to get him to calm down. And he was not having it. Oh, so she lived with you. So she lived with you. She did the overnight shift. Oh, okay. There from 10 at night until six in the morning. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I went in there. She was trying to calm him down. He was not having it. And she finally picked him up and put him like in a burp position on her shoulder. Uh huh. And in this position, like almost standing up, he stopped screaming, but he was still like really uncomfortable. So she just showed me an empty bottle and she said, I just fed him. He's really gassy. Okay. I thought, okay. You know, fair enough. Babies get gassy. And I thought he's obviously not settling down. At this point, I'm home alone. My husband is on a business trip out of state. I have my 20-month-old son who was sleeping directly across the hallway. So last thing I wanted was to wake up the 20-month-old at four o'clock in the morning, right? And I have the screaming baby. So I told her, you know, I'm already awake. He's not going back to sleep. Why don't you just go home and I'll take it from here? Okay. 
So she leaves the house. I unswaddle my, my son, you know, checking for rashes, oozing out of the nose, out of the ears, you know, anything you could think of when a newborn baby. Oh yeah. Is so I, there were no external signs, like nothing visible. You know, I just gave him skin to skin. I put him on my chest and he fell asleep. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, you know, you just wanted your mommy (laughs) and I doze off. He dozes off. Next thing I hear him screaming again. I look at the clock at seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, I'm like, okay, you know, you're hungry. Last feeding was four o'clock, seven o'clock. I tried to nurse him and he would not latch on whatsoever. I'd never had any issues with him before, but she kind of had me thinking, you know, gas, nursing strike, colic. Mm -hmm. That's what was going through my mind, right? Okay. You, maybe you don't want to eat right now. You're still gassy. Six hours later, nonstop crying, would not nurse, would not sleep. Yeah. Something's wrong. I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? You know, and I'm here, Mm -hmm. Dr. Google. I'm like, what is, what is wrong with my baby? Mm -hmm. And you know, it could have been anything basically. So I called my mom. I'm like, mom, can you please come here? Stay with my older son so that I could take the baby to the pediatrician. She comes over. I call the pediatrician's office and he says, you know, we can't see him until three o'clock in the afternoon. And I tell the receptionist, he has been screaming since four o'clock in the morning. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. I need to see somebody. Yeah. That's okay. Then take him to the emergency room. Yeah. That's emergency. So we all hop in the car, my mom, my 20 month old son, seven week old baby and me. And of course, as soon as we start driving, what happens? What do babies do? He falls asleep in the car, stops crying. Seems like he's totally fine. I get to the emergency room. I tell them the symptoms he's sleeping at this point. And the doctor did come see me right away. He tells me to lay him down flat on the bed. And then he walks away. And I'm thinking, you know, great, going to tell me to give the kid Benadryl and go home. But he stops at the door about 10 feet away. And he is just staring at my son, like laser focused on my son. Everybody in that room is quiet. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. And he sits there for about 30, 30 seconds to a minute. And then he starts walking back towards the bed. And he goes straight to my son's head right behind his left ear. And he's like, did you feel this? And I said, no. So he grabs my hand and he places my fingers behind his ear. It's like, you feel that bulge? I said, yeah. He said, that's fluid that's leaking from his brain. Oh, that's cool. That has to be, I'm like hurt right now. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So I, I was like, okay, what does that mean? And he's like, it could be spinal cerebral fluid. It can be blood. We need to go do a CT scan right now to see what's going on. And as soon as he says that, about 10 people rush into that room and they start placing the probes on my son, right? The baby, they raise up the rails to that bed and they start bolting down the hallway to the CT room. And as we're going down that CT room, his right arm starts twitching. And then those nurses really start running. And I look up at the nurse. I'm like, is this normal? She looks at me, she says no. And then me, I'm like, oh, left side of the brain, right arm twitching. He's having a seizure. Mm-hmm. Right. And me having had seizures my whole life, I'm like, oh my God, I gave it to him. Right. It's genetic. It's hereditary. I said a little prayer right there. I'm like, Lord, please spare my son from having to live with this like I did. Get to the CT room. Doctors tell me to go wait outside. And me and my mom, you know, we're just in shock. We're like, what, what the heck just happened? Right. We went from gassy baby to now fluid is leaking out of my son's brain. That's hard to process. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we were just there. We were praying. I was texting my husband who's on a, a business meeting out of state my 20 month old son bouncing off the walls, you know, the doctors come back and they say, Miss Bruno, this is very serious. I'm like, okay. They take me into the back room where all the monitors are. 
And he's like, what happened to your son is a cranial fracture. And the fluid that's leaking is blood. The brain hates blood. We need to go do emergency surgery right now. Mm-hmm. Try to drain the blood and fix the fracture. Mm-hmm. And they just start handing me all the liabilities, right? All the things to sign. And like, are you against blood transfusions? I'm like, I don't care what you have to do to save my son, save my son. Right. So off they go, wheeling my baby, my seven week old baby into brain surgery. And I'm there with my mom. We're again, still in shock. And I think at that point, the words cranial fracture didn't really register with me. No, the fracture is like the bone was actually broken. And I was just thinking, you know, it's a newborn. I know their cranium isn't completely formed yet. Like Mm -hmm. did one of those flaps pop open and the bleeding may be due to an aneurysm because of my condition, because of seizures. You know, I was thinking anything except that this could have been done maliciously. Mm. Right, right. You know, or on purpose or even accidentally. So they go off. The surgery lasts for about three hours, three to four hours doctor comes back, you know, he tells me everything went well, clinically well, we were able to drain the blood, we were able to fix the fracture. And my first question is, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be brain damaged? And the doctor tells me we really don't know due to his young age. We don't even know whether he's going to survive the next 48 hours. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. We have him in a medically induced coma right now. So they take me to the PICU. He's there in a medically induced coma because of all the seizures he was having. Right. And again, my husband is out of state. I'm by myself. You know, I pray again for my son. I said, God, I don't care if I have to dedicate the rest of my life to taking care of my son. I will just don't take him away from me. Right. Right. And Holy Spirit to me that moment said Mm -hmm. he's mine. Okay. I'm so happy to hear (laughs) that, you know, the Lord and that he is able and and, uh, willing and right away start to uh, work on your behalf. And yeah, I've been there in the hospital with my son, but he was way much older. So I can imagine, you know, um, just trying to keep the faith during that really hard times. And, you know, I remember them taking me in a room. I'm like, I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I need to talk to the Lord. So, yeah. So this is, Wow. And, and early in the morning, you really you're still not functioning well because, you know, you haven't had your sleep. And when did they actually tell you that it, it sounds like you may be going to jail or something? <laughs> when did they when did they say? Yeah, yeah. never. They did never. not tell me anything. So while I'm there in the hospital and my son is in this coma. About two hours after, you know, the surgery's over and he's in the hospital room, I see a man in a uniform, like a sheriff's uniform and a woman with a clipboard and they slide the glass door open and they say, Miss Bruno, can we speak to you? And I'm like, okay, not weird. What is a police officer doing here? But the first words out of his mouth, what happened to your son was worse than getting struck in the head by a bullet. Wow. Okay. Did he have to say that? (laughs) Like, right. No, you don't even. Okay, go ahead. So, and then he proceeds. He's like, we want to help you figure out how this happened to your son. Will you help us? So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, bullet to the head and you're asking me for help. So like, are you insinuating that this woman tried to kill my son? That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. And you say, you, you want me to help you. So you obviously don't think it was me. Mm-hmm. So I sit down with them. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Come in. They sit down with me and they 
start asking me a bunch of questions. You know, I tell them the whole scenario from four o'clock in the morning till now we're at the hospital. And the police officer, you know, why didn't you call 911? And I'm like, because I didn't know what was wrong with him. You know, she told me he was gassy. And he goes, why did you wait so long to bring him to the hospital? I'm like, again, I didn't know what was wrong with him. I thought he was gassy. Why did you bring him to a hospital in Orange County when you live in LA County? Because this is the children's hospital that I know. So he's just very casually jotting everything down. Mm -hmm. And the social worker asked me, do you have any other children? I think I do. And how old are they? Where are they? So I tell her, you know, my 20 month old son is with my son is with my mom. And at this point, it's about 930 at night. And she says, is it okay if we go see him? Now, again, me thinking I have nothing to hide and that these people are here to help me. I call my mom right there in front of her. I tell my mom she's going to go see him. And I say, no, he's probably asleep by now. And she said, we're not going to wake him. We just want to make sure he's okay. So, okay. She leaves at that point. She gets up and leaves the hospital. I'm Mm -hmm. assuming she's going to go to my mom's house. The police officer stays there with me. And he asked me, will you wait for the detectives? The detectives are on their way. They would like to speak to you as well. And I'm like, okay, sure. Again, always in my mind, I'm cooperating, right? I'm here to help these people. These people are helping me. Mm -hmm. The detectives show up at midnight. Now, mind you, I'd been up since four o'clock in the morning. It's now midnight. They quote, interview me Mm -hmm. until two o'clock in the morning. And the detectives explicitly, you know, they made a point to tell me this is not an interrogation. (laughs) This is just an interview. And I'm like, okay, you know, and again, I had no idea the different terms or what this means or what. (laughs) Right. Everything (laughs) sounds very innocent. Okay. Yeah. Interrogation. Okay. Yeah. So I tell them everything. Then it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm like, you know, I really need to go to sleep. I've been up for almost 24 hours. I don't want to have any seizures now. I will be more than happy to continue this on later today. Mm -hmm. So they were very compliant. No, they were very nice. Gave me their business cards and I went to sleep. I wake up at about 10 o'clock that same day and my husband is just staring at me at this point, like a blank look on his face. And my first instinct is to look at the baby, right? I'm like, okay, the machines are beeping. He's alive. He's there. What's going on? Uh And he tells me they took David. I'm like, what do you mean they took David? David is my 20 month old son. Right. Where? Who? And he's like, they showed up at your mom's house at two o'clock in the morning. And they took David and I'm like, they lied to me. Like she said, they weren't even going to wake him. And she said, well, that's not what happened. So I called my mom and I'm like, what happened? My mom said they showed up at two o'clock in the morning with three police cars, three police cars, three police cars. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And walked in our house, did the walkthrough, right. Opened the refrigerator door, see if we had food in there under the kitchen cabinets, see if we had anything in there, walk through the house, if it was clean, then asked where the child is. Mm -hmm. So my mom showed the social worker where the room was. She immediately turns on the light, wakes up my son at two o'clock in the morning and asks my mom to undress him. My mom undresses him. She checks for any signs of abuse, any bruising, any scars, whatever. And she admits that there are none. Meantime, she's on her phone, right? We don't know what she's doing, who she's calling. And, you know, my mom is holding my son this whole time. We have police officers everywhere. And the social worker tells my mom, we are going to take him. 
And my mom said, no, you're not. And the social worker says, if you don't give them to us, you're gonna get arrested. Now, mind you, we have three police cars, a bunch of officers standing by, nobody says anything. And my mom is just looking at them, you know, waiting for somebody to intervene or say something. Right. And she says, okay, if I go to jail, do I take him with me? (laughs) (laughs) And the social worker, no, he's going to go to foster care and you will not be able to care for him because you're going to have a criminal record. So my mom is like, no, like this can't be possible. Can't we do something else? You know, trying to negotiate with the, with the social workers. I'm like, you admitted there's no sign of abuse. I'm like, the house is clean. The house is fine. My dad is on the phone at two o'clock in the morning, trying to contact lawyers. Of course, nobody's answering. I'm not sure why, if it's you and it's your mother and she doesn't have a criminal record, why couldn't they just say, well, she's going to have to, I don't know this uh this field at all is again this is so hard to navigate through well according to their policies that is what they should have done oh okay but the detectives and the police apparently you know they all work together you know and following this whole situation and the research i've done they call you know child protective services the family police so they're equivalent (laughs) of law enforcement for families oh (laughs) (laughs) okay So their excuse or their reasoning is that I didn't have a reasonable explanation of what happened to my son, to my seven week old son. Right. They kept asking me what I think happened. I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. He was with the nanny. I don't know. So they assumed, you know, that's not an explanation. Like you should know what happened to your seven week old son. Did they interview her? They interviewed her after they had already seized both my children. So within 12 hours. At two o'clock in the morning, they took my son, right? My mom didn't know what to do. So Mm -hmm. she gave my son to the social worker and the social worker drives off in the middle of the night, not telling us where they're taking him, why they're taking him or what's going on. Mm -hmm. So here we are, my husband and I at the hospital, 10 o'clock in the morning, not knowing where our son is. They won't answer their phones. The supervisor won't answer their phones. They won't return their phones. You're in the system now. You're at the mercy of the system. Absolutely. At that point. Yep. So I start calling lawyers. And I find I had to call like 10 different lawyers mm-hmm. before I finally found one who knew what CPS was doing. Right. Thanks and for what tuning the in to the show. This for more information on our guests and resources, visit prisonersparty.com. For sure. And CPS is what follows. Like services, and subscribe to okay. this podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I know Please different states sure call them by different names, but it's all the same thing. Until okay. Next time. Yeah. God bless. So I go to his office and I'm like, okay, where is my son and where do I go get him? And he tells me to sit down. He's like, you have no idea what you're in for. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, they can't just come in here and take my kid. This is a lawyer speaking now, right? And he's my absolutely lawyer. right. A, it's, it's a so- private attorney that I paid for, right? Mm-hmm. And he's telling me, you're not getting your kids back. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't do this. And he's like, doesn't matter. I'm like, what do you mean doesn't matter? Like, what happened to our constitution? What happened to innocent until proven guilty? What about the nanny? And he said, they may investigate or they may not. This is family court. They don't follow constitutional law. And I'm like, what other law is there? <laughs> and he said, they can do whatever they deem is in the best interest of the child. Unbelievable. Like, I'm like <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm like, how is it in the best interest of the child to show up at two o'clock in the morning, rip him away from his grandma's house and take him to God knows where? 
we we want them to do what's best interest of the child. And, and, and if their parent is innocent, the best interest of the child is to stay with the mom. And, you know, but, you know, we need a chance to prove that. Right. You know, so. Yeah, so I mean, they took him and I was there at the attorney's office and he's like, listen, what happened to your son is criminal to my seven week old baby. Oh, yeah. So you are facing 15 years in jail and a hundred thousand dollar bail if they decide to charge you. And I'm like, I didn't do this. He's like, I believe you. Doesn't matter. And I'm like, okay, so what, what are you saying here? I'm like, if I go into that courtroom and I ask the judge to give the kids back to you, he's going to pull this up. And he shows me the paper with the criminal investigation with an open criminal investigation. And they're going to show this to the judge. And they're going to tell the judge, your honor, this woman is under criminal investigation. You're placing the children at risk by giving them back to their mother. And if that happens, they're going to go to foster care. They're under two years old and nonverbal. They can be legally adopted by the foster family if the case lasts longer than six months. And they, wow. will, make it, they will make it last longer six than six months. months. Wow. What? This is unreal. And that, that has to be a nightmare. I was um, I'm like, just I, going through and I, it scares me that something just could happen to people like that. And I hope a lot of these parents are listening mm-hmm. um, and just um, paying attention to what's going on, that you can get your kids taken and it's hardly anything you can do. I've seen that happen in a black community yeah. and it's it's scary because you don't know what to do. I've seen it you know, with my niece, I've seen it, you know, with my brother. Um, I'm not saying that this shouldn't be investigated and everything, but it's absolutely scary because you have people that's supposed to be advocating for you and they're saying that they, they want to help. I've seen that myself. And it's like, they all work together. And I used to didn't believe that right until I saw it for myself. And, and they say they're the advocate and it's like, Cause I, I, you know, I've seen it and I was like, I need a lawyer. You know, I, why didn't you call me a lawyer that, uh, you know, tell me I need to have an attorney or something that's going to work on my behalf. I'm, I'm advocating that anytime you're dealing with any, you know, uh, cases like this, or don't talk to anybody until you get attorney, let you know, listen, what, how, and what else did your attorney say after that? Right. So he's like, you're saving grace is that your husband was out of state when this happened. So legally speaking, he wasn't even at the crime scene. Mm -hmm. So we're going to ask the judge to give sole custody to your husband. That way they don't even risk going into foster care. But if the judge grants this, then they are going to kick you out of the house. So what choice did I have, right? Risk going into that courtroom and fighting for my supposed rights, which apparently aren't, are non-existent (laughs) in family court. Mm-hmm. And risk having my children being placed in foster care mm-hmm. or, you know, me getting kicked out of the house and at least having my children with their father. Okay. So what'd you do? So of course I'm like, yeah, go give them to their father. You know, I don't care what you do to me, leave my kids alone. Mm-hmm. So this was on a Friday and we have what they call the 72 hour emergency hearing, right? Once they seize your children, they have 72 hours to have a hearing. They have to have a hearing within 72 hours. Okay. And that hearing was going to be the Monday, the following Monday. 
So the weekend, right? He's like, you call as many people as you can, get as many character letters as you can, right? Talking about who you are, what you are as a person, as a mother, get letters from doctors, from the pediatrician, from colleagues at work, from people that are not your family, mm-hmm. right? So that the, the judge can see. And I want you to enroll in a child abuse class, in the parenting class, in the individual counseling class. I mean, it was almost like I was preparing for a plea bargain, right? Like you're going to, after a DUI, you go to the judge and say, I've already enrolled in AA. I've already done this. I've already done that. You know, this please is have a, mercy on a me. nightmare. This sounds like a nightmare. Like they won't yeah. end. <laughs> go ahead. So, you know, I did all that. I got the character letters. Meanwhile, we found out where David was, my son, where they had taken him. My attorney already had them on speed dial. He knew exactly where he was and they had taken him to the children's shelter, the county's children's shelter. Okay. Where he spent 48 hours. They wouldn't release him to me. They wouldn't release him to my husband. And I'm like, can I at least see him? Like what I don't, I like, I'm going to be kicked out of my house probably. Right. Most likely I'm going to be kicked out of my house when the hearing comes and I'm not even going to be able to say goodbye to my son. So my attorney's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. So he calls them and he's like, they'll let you see him for 30 minutes at the shelter. So my husband and I go to the shelter to see him. And my son is like a zombie. Mike, he wouldn't, he, he would look at me like just this blank stare on his face. He wouldn't even come up to me, like to hug me. And the social worker who slept, you know, spent the night there. She's like, yeah, he really didn't sleep very well. And I'm like, well, Duh, what did you expect? And Hopefully they like, didn't count that against you. Like, right? you know, and oh, he's scared of her now. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh. She's like, he didn't really eat. And I'm like, what did you feed him? And they're like, peas and hot dogs. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Come That's, on, that'll never... make you gassy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, my son had never eaten a hot dog in his life. <laughs> so, you know, I get down on the floor with him. And at this point, he's not even two years old, right? He's 20 months old. And my husband and I only spoke Portuguese with him. We're originally from Brazil. Uh Oh, we only spoke Portuguese. (laughs) What they think you were doing. (laughs) No, they made a signed document saying that we would not speak anything but English with him. Okay. So I'm there speaking in English and he's looking at me like, what the heck are you saying? Like, what, (laughs) who are you? Mm -hmm. Right. But I get down on the floor, you know, I open my eyes, I get, I open my arms, I put him on my lap. And he sits there, he starts, you know, letting down the balls start coming down. He starts getting comfortable again. He starts playing. And then the social worker tells me your time is up. (laughs) And I get up, you know, and he's already noticing I'm getting up, like, where are you going? And he's like clung to my leg. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, David, mommy has to go. You know, we will see you later. That's that's traumatizing right there. I'm like, oh my God, that was the most traumatizing thing for me and my husband. And he's screaming, right? He's on my leg. He's like, no, mommy, no, mommy. Mm -hmm. And the social worker, ma'am, you have to go. So she picks him up right off my leg and is holding him. And he's screaming for my husband and for me. My husband and I, we just hold our hands. We turn around and we are just crying like two school children Mm -hmm. on our way to the parking lot to the car. And hearing his screams, you know, get further and further, the further and further we walk away. And we just get in that car and we cry, I don't know, for probably like 30 minutes, just crying. And again, we're praying, you know, this is before the hearing and we're like, God, this is not going to happen. You know, you are not, this is not possible. You know, what is happening? This is not possible. Please show the judges, show the social workers, show the lawyers, anything 
mm-hmm. on Monday when this hearing comes. Wow. So I'm like wrung out already. It sounds like a movie I'm going through. But yeah. go. what happened at the hearing? Like, what did so they do? At the hearing, we go there. You know, I have all my character letters in hand. We have, you know, so the reports, my lawyers, we have our strategy, you know, what we're going to do. And when I get in there, I'm thinking it's going to be at least like Judge Judy. Uh-oh. Right. The judge is there. You talk, you talk. But what about this? But what about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. I go in there. The nanny is not there. The social worker is not there. The police officers aren't there. The detectives aren't there. <laughs> the only person on trial in that courtroom is me and a bunch of lawyers, you know, and they start talking they start doing the formalities of the court. And I'm just waiting, you know, for the judge to call my name and ask me what happened. All right. Right. And the next thing I hear, my name is Bruno. Any objections? To what? That was part one of my chat with Rachel. Well, all I can say is that anyone with children should be freaked out by now about just how easy you can get involved with it, as well as how they don't even follow constitutional laws. You are basically at the mercy of your accuser. You really, really have to be very careful here. I'm so glad I'm bringing this to people's attention, especially people within the black community, because this is a real threat. There's still more to hear from Rachel. So tune in next week to hear part two. Thanks for tuning in today. Until next time, I'm Michi J. Wishing you a week filled with blessings. Thanks for tuning in to the show. For more information on our guests and resources, visit prisonerspardon.com. If you're enjoying the content, follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until next time, God bless.